Assalamu alaikum guys, welcome back to another episode of Mind of a Minority uh, In this episode we discussed Uthman Ibn Affan I'm here with Hashmat Speakboy H uh, Faye is absent at the moment He has a few assignments, I think the law department has five assignments at the moment How many do you have H? I have three but he's doing some extra modules that he's yeah. chosen, so he's doing five in the next week. Yeah, so five of those come up. we understand that his absence is no. for a good reason, for a good cause. But he was there at the halaqa for the Uthman Rafan episode. What did we discuss in that episode? Well, that episode was mainly based on the Sahaba Uthman Ibn Rafan. Mm-hmm. And just to make it quick and short for you guys, I would highly recommend watching yeah. that, that episode. There's a lot uh, of there's a lot of quick there's a lot of quick and a lot of lessons people lessons can relate to. Hundred percent, because uh, I think that's a habit. They were labeled the best um, of people amongst be- people, yeah, uh, because because of their virtues and their characters. So what we decided to focus on was his biography, a short biography of what his life was, and then um, uh, his characters and how we can apply that. How everybody in that halaqa they could apply it to themselves. So you know, I, I hope that you guys you know can take what we said and. Provide, uh, you know, in, implement it into your own life. How do you inter- uh, interpret his characteristics into your own life? Because everybody's is different. Somebody's interpretation of it and implementation will be different to yours. But how you do it and better yourself is up to you, inshallah. With that said, if you have any ways and any means that you want to reach out to us, give us recommendations about a speaker, about a topic, about anything that we should discuss or have about this podcast, we have two contact points. You have, first of all, um, uh, Instagram, which is mind of unders- mind underscore of underscore a underscore minority, until we get a better at that is the one at the moment that we have. Um, yeah, like for example, if you want to give us a better name, for example, there you go. You can give us well, anything. Sometimes we need topic suggestions. What the viewers want to listen to. Exactly. We have our own ideas of what's the hubbers that we like, or we're gonna talk about, or topics that some of us are interested in. But we wanna hear your suggestions. Because you're the we're listener. here for you guys as much as we're here for ourselves. 100%. So drop us a DM, drop us an email as Nabara said. Minority Minds at Outlook.com. That is our email. Minority Minds at Outlook.com. All the feedback, even positive criticism, we're here for it. Just give us a shout. We're here to communicate with you guys. So yes, catch us on the next episode inshallah. But until then Enjoy this episode. Enjoy this episode and thank you for tuning in. Assalamu alaikum. Anybody know anything Stop. about Ibn Affan? Assalamu alaikum. We'll see Musi is in the cup. <laughs> H1 in the cup. Fay. Lao. Eight. Fay. Hashtag GB. Yalla, wait. Assalamu alaikum wa barakatuh, brothers. Welcome to today's podcast or halaqa. Uh, in today's, inshallah, we'll be uh, discussing Uthman ibn Affan anha. Now, the story of Uthman ibn Affan anha is quite different because not only is he one of the most respected Sahabas, he is the most one of the most beloved to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He is um, was the third Khalif after Umar, anha, and um, he was the son of a man called Affan. This man was so rich and so deeply rooted in Quraysh himself that Uthman ibn Affan is related to the Prophet ﷺ on his mother's side, but also related to Sufyan, Abu Sufyan, I believe, on his father's side. So, like, he's really connected in both sides. He was a very smart man, business-wise as well. Um, he was so loved by the people of Quraysh that the people of Quraysh used to say, May Allah love you the way the Quraysh loves Uthman Radana. You know, that's how much the Quraysh loved Uthman Radana. Obviously we know Allah Allah's love for us is like nothing else. Um now how he became Muslim uh, was Abu Bakr Siddiq uh, says, you know, there's this new religion, you shouldn't be worshipping idols, idols don't bring you any goodness, they don't do you any any good. Um, here's the right religion and it's basically a religion that's without culture because that's what basically ruins any religion is when you bring culture into it and as uh, he asks who is this man he goes Muhammad uh, and he goes you know he was known as Sadiq al-Amin you know the truthful one the uh, faithful one I believe as well so 
as this is happening, subhanAllah, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam walks by and goes, Oh, Uthman, you know, then calls him to Islam and goes, you know, just worship uh, Allah and acknowledge that I'm his messenger and that's it. And he t- there and then he takes his shahada. So there was no second guessing whether this was the right religion. He knew that the man that, you know, is claimed or people claimed him to be a prophet is a really well-respected, truthful and honest man. Um... He was connected to the Prophet ﷺ through, uh, you know, we already said his mother, but that was distance. Now he's got kinship, literal kinship, through uh, first Ruqayya, uh, Muhammad's daughter. Now Ruqayya was very respected among Quraysh because she was also the daughter of Khadija. Khadija She was very, uh, one of the most noble women of Quraysh. Um, and uh, yeah, so she was really well respected. She was the first um, wife of Uthman Allah and her. And it happened to be that she passed away on the day that the Muslims gained victory in the Battle of Badr. So it was very bittersweet. Also, people used to uh, say that, oh, uh, Uthman Allah and her wasn't there at the Battle of Badr. Does he count as the people that fought in Badr? Uthman Rana was told, commanded by Muhammad stay back and watch your wife because she's ill and so is your son. It happens to be that his son or their son also passed away the day after. So it was like, you know, the Muslims just gained one of the best victories, but the Muslims also just lost Ruqayya, um, which is the beloved daughter of the Prophet. Then he was after this death he becomes almost mute and you know doesn't go mosque like he, go, he goes to the mosque but only to the mosque he doesn't to speak anymore he just seems really isolated but never isolates himself from the masjid muhammad uh, you know sees this and goes what's wrong he goes obviously the death of ruqayyah but now i don't have the connection the kinship that i had with you before uh, as i did before and he was so truthful in that statement that Muhammad was commanded to marry off Umm Kalthum, his second daughter, to Uthman Allah That's how truthful he was in that statement. So marries off Umm Kalthum to him as well. Now that's, you know, basically a bit of background knowledge. And uh, when she passes away six years later, Muhammad says, Wallahi, if by Allah, if I had 70 daughters or something like that, I would give them all to you. You know, like that's how much the Prophet loved this man, Uthman ibn Affan. Now that's the background knowledge. Uh, she, yeah, that's why he was known as the possessor of two lights. Mm-hmm. He was married to two of the Prophet's daughters, sallallahu So that's you know, already a great thing among the Sahabas, what makes, distinguishes him from all the other Sahabas. Now, a few of his characteristics, and as we go through each characteristic, inshallah, what we'll try to do is how do we implement that ourselves into our, DNA, uh, into our life daily right now, life. daily life. And that's when, you know, I stop talking and you guys take over. How do you plan to implement it, inshallah? So with that, one of his greatest characteristics, you have his softness. Softness is in his speech. He wasn't a loud guy. You know, obviously that's not bad. But Mm -hmm. one of his characteristics that suited everything really well, and we'll go into them. One of his ones was his softness in his speech. So soft that you had to go in close to him just to hear him speak. He wasn't a man that said a lot either. He said things when it was beneficial. With that being said, how do you implement a softness in speech and softness in manner in your life? Pause as long as you want. I can edit this out. But how do you take softness in speech, care in speech, into your life? It's like you said, don't speak without knowledge. That's one we always, always, always say. Because remember, if I tell any of you, Oh, I heard so-and-so say, or such-and-such sheikh say, Ah, oh, you know what, birthdays are halal because, um, you know, there's a difference of opinion, this and that, they believe different things. Based off my, based off what I've just said, you then start celebrating something that is possibly haram and possibly shirk or possibly a bid'ah, you know, on depending the that on the fact them. that I've told you something. Yeah. You know? Don't speak without knowledge, you know? Exactly, because it's just like how there's sadaq al-jari, khir that, you know, if, um, for example, I pass on a piece of knowledge to you and you tell your friend about it and they act upon it or you act upon it and then there's like this butterfly the effect. Mouth. Yeah, there's this butterfly effect. There's also the same for your sin. You telling somebody that it's okay, the sin's okay, just to make your... Sometimes people do do this. They commit a sin, but then they justify it for others or justify it to others just so that they feel better. Oh, I'm not sinning because difference of opinion. But they know clearly, deep down, they know it's a sin. 
but they just justify it to others so others don't think that they're bad. So uh, when I do that, you then go, no, it's not a sin. Somebody else asks you, wait, how come? I thought that was a sin. No, no, I heard someone will say that based on such and such, it's not a sin. We are required from the moment we've passed puberty, where we're starting to gain our knowledge, that's your turn to then chase knowledge. I shouldn't have to yank or I shouldn't have to tell you because that's when the problem comes in. If ah, I heard from so-and-so that such and such is halal and that, that's bad. Mm. Because the problem is we can all think for ourselves. Nobody can do your degree. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm supposed to do my degree. I'm supposed to chase my knowledge. I'm supposed to chase my field or my career. So you have, to, you have literally the responsibility to do the same for your akhirah. Because nobody will do it for you. So that's the dangers. And that's one thing we can implement is his softness in his speech. He was quiet. He was soft-spoken. He wasn't loud and arrogant and haughty. Speaking of and haughty... <coughs> sorry. Prophet once said that <laughs> too much laughter can kill the soul. I used to... I, I couldn't believe it at first. Like when I remember in the brother's group chat right at the very beginning when I joined, I debated this brother. No, 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 no. It's not bad. It's not bad. But wallahi, I've seen it like for myself. It does. Because you lose the seriousness in certain moments. The same way you're implementing, um, from what we know about softness of the voice, when you're laughing, you're laughing too much. You have no self-control. If you're speaking, you're speaking aggressive, you're speaking fast, you're not making sense, you're speaking without purpose, which is why they say, don't let the poison of the mouth kill your heart. You're speaking so much, you're letting out so much energy for no reason. Preserve that. Whatever you say has to have meaning, whatever you say has to have wisdom. Mm. You protect yourself in some in, in some manner as well, and by doing that, you're teaching yourself self control, and patience as well. Yeah, it's like you said, laughing, like there should be a purpose to your laughter, and too much of it can ruin the heart. Because obviously, we all know it's sooner to you know make others happy, make others smile. It's an act of charity, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But Islam, we all know Islam is balance. Islam is about balancing your thing. It's not being excessive in your charity. Or not giving any charity at all. Uh, you, we all know the hadith as well. Or I, I don't know if it was a hadith or in the Quran. But Allah loves things that are small and consistent. If you give one pound a month. But you do it every month consistently. That's, that's your act of charity. It's consistent and small. And Allah loves that. Rather than you donating a bag once a year. Or once every you know, two, three months. And that's it. Same way. This is leading to the... Um this is to the people that are struggling with the prayers, for example, or, or their knowledge. Allah loves that person who knows less and is consistent and implements what he knows to the best of his ability and consistently than someone that knows everything and has the knowledge about everything but doesn't act upon it, does not implement the in his daily lifestyle. For example, yeah. You know, so, like... Sorry. So when... Um, no, it's cool. You can go, you can go. No, 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 so when, um, for example, you, you say, I'll, I'm going to start praying. In fact, when I, when I have time, when I'm, when I'm ready, I'm going to start praying. When I've stopped doing this, when I've stopped hanging around with this person, I'm going to start praying five times a day. Or I'm going to stop and start X, Y, and Z. If you start with one prayer, Zuhr, every single day, at least that, until you improve, until you move on to two salahs, three salahs, that's more beloved than nothing. 100%. Better is always better than nothing. Well, no point is, is what you said. It's, it's, the, it's the intention. It's the intention. If you're making the intention with a clean heart, Allah loves people who make intentions, but even if that intention is, it, it hasn't happened yet, He still loves that person. It still, it still, it still matters to Allah as if it so, did happen. Intention is very, very important in Islam. We all know that. Um, I think, what was it? You said... Um, Right at the very beginning, uh, a lot of these things that are small and consistent. Yeah. And um, for example, if you're reading the Quran, like my Arabic is bad. Like when I'm reading the Quran, my Arabic is really bad. So I read it like letter for letter. It's really slow and bad. But then I heard something as well. So imagine somebody is a hafiz of the Quran. If their recitation is. If that's fast, right? When you're resurrected, you will. I, 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 I'm not quite sure on this, but I believe it's. Um, you will recite the way that you're recited in this world, basically. So deeper. I recite with my really bad Arabic, like letter by letter by letter. 
But even if I know just Qulullah Wahid, I'm reading Qulullah Wahid for how long? For longer than... What? I am... Uh, what's his name? The one, that, um, the one that's really slow. Abdul Basit. The really slow reciter. Like, mashallah, even uh, Surah Fatiha is like three minutes long. Abba mm. Abdul Basit. Like, mm. he's a really slow reciter. But deeper, in the eyes of Allah, that's much more beautiful. The one that takes things slow, takes, doesn't rush things, you know? Um, and also, this book, Ibn al-Jawzi, Disciplining the Soul. He talks about how it's a desire to seem knowledgeable. But the person that actually has knowledge, right? He's held a lot more accountable for each thing and each thing, a sin that he makes. Because why? He knows better, you know? So... Kind of like, you know Allah's punishment. You know it's bad to do something, but you still do it. It doesn't make sense, doesn't it? Like, so with that, we go on to uh, his humility. As When he became a khalif, um, the third khalif, he used to cover himself at night, uh, go to the masjid so nobody could recognize him, uh, and then pray until fajr. He used to, usually, he'd complete the whole Qur'an by the end of the Salah. That, and the thing is, when people criticize the Sahabas, like, I'm not saying any of us can do that, or we do that, because if I'm being honest, I myself, I struggle with the five Salahs. I'm not trying to say, oh, go do what Uthman of Allah does, because it's hard. We all know it's hard. Like, they're the greatest for a reason. But subhanAllah, certain people will also say, I'm not sure how genuine these guys were in their actions. Was it only after the Prophet ﷺ was, you know, only they were genuine only when the Prophet ﷺ was there and then their actions become corrupt afterwards? But then why is it that they are also the same people that still stand in prayer until Fajr, that still stand in prayer until Dhuhr? When he was asked to take it slow on yourself, why are you reciting so much, you know? He goes, If our hearts were pure, we would never have enough of the Qur'an. Like, subhanAllah, this was, this was his humility. His love for Allah gave him ranks that no sahaba, I mean, we have Abu Bakr, you have Umar, you have these well-respected sahabas, but the rank and the love that he has from Allah, you can see it manifested in the angels and the Prophet ﷺ himself. Yeah. With that, do we want to think about humility as well? Or do we want to connect it to modesty? Um, those two together, humility and modesty, yeah? yeah? His modesty, subhanAllah, he used to shower either with clothes still on, right? And, you know, like, rub yeah. and scrub himself, like, underneath the clothes. Or he used to squat, like, hide his aura, his privates. Because he was that shy of Allah. SubhanAllah, he was that shy. His love for Allah, like we said, is what gave him that. The fact that a late, later incident happens when... Uh, this is this shows his sincerity because there's no action that Muhammad does that's not without you know without hikmah behind it without wisdom behind it. Incident comes where um, Muhammad is you know kind of sitting and I think a part of him was just showing like a part of his leg was just showing it wasn't nothing that was you know like uh, not allowed mm. in the religion but you know just a part of him was showing he was just sitting casually. Abu Bakr walks in and he doesn't move. Uh, and then Umar walks in and he doesn't uh, change his posture. And then after a while, Uthman ibn Affan walks in. And Muhammad when he was announced, um, and he goes, wait, fixes himself up, and then sits properly. And then afterwards, everything is done. Aisha goes, why would you? Why did you fix yourself only for Uthman? He goes, how can I not be shy of a man that even the angels are shy of? Mm-hmm. Like, how could, who am I, this is what Muhammad says, who am I to not be shy of the man that even the angels are shy of? SubhanAllah, like, that's what, that's how sincere he was. The angels were shy of this man, you know? And that was narrated by Aisha Al-Anha when that incident was happened. So, humility, modesty, and again, we have, I believe, shyness in there, his uh, shyness. How do you implement those three? Inshallah. I think, personally speaking, mm-hmm. the shower thing you said, um, you can link that to the fact that a lot of people have pride nowadays. 100%. Pride. It's a big factor. Prophet Muhammad said, 
that the person that has even an inch of pride in their heart, they will not be able to. I think it was a mustard seed. A mustard seed will not be en- will not be allowed to enter Jannat al Firdaus. You know, um, Jannat. He won't be allowed into paradise if he has an, a mustard seed amount of pride in his heart. Ooh, nowadays, pride. nowadays, everyone, pride, every man everyone. for himself. Pride is somebody that walks around thinking he's better than others. Oh, Having pride, pride is pride. thinking. You're better. you're better than someone or you walk into a room for example and you think I'm wearing the best thing or I'm look the best I'm the I'm better than you, you know, even, you're looking um, down on other people even somebody of knowledge he also talks about this it's a desire just like how it's a desire to look better to be better than someone it's also a desire that um, a knowledgeable person could fall into pride because pride if for example I could look at Fahir who's a new convert and be like I've got more knowledge than him. I'm mm. better than him. Mm. But how do I know that I that's the case? You don't. No, like you can never know. I could I don't know your sins, you don't know my sins. Mm. I don't know his sins and I don't know Shafiq's and I don't know H's. We don't know each other's sins. Because Allah covers our sins, so never expose it either. And don't walk around arrogantly because that's what People were destroyed for in the past. You know, you had by uh, thinking they're someone by thinking yeah, they kings, they were, kings, empires yeah. fall because of that. Fall because of their pride. So nowadays, you walk around. People don't wanna go to the masjid because they have pride. Wallahi, bro, they don't wanna go to the mosque five times or even at all. They don't wanna. Or they want to go or they have. If I go to the mosque, they're gonna think I'm weak. I'm not speaking just nationally, I'm talking yeah, internationally. Bro, bro, I had this internationally myself. speaking. I had this problem myself. Like, generally, I didn't want to go to the mosque because a um, couple of, like, boys that kind of, like, snaked it in a way, if, if you know what I mean. Like, I didn't, like, didn't really think of them like that coronavirus hits 100 cases and uh, we got the first one. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of the boys that, um, you know, like, I was friends with back in the end, they just, like, things went sour, basically. And because of my ego, I was like, I don't want to go because I don't want to see them, like, it's kind of an ego thing, I don't want to see them, you know, like, even if it's at the masjid. But bro, like, the moment, and I wasn't mentally good back then as well because of that. I feel like the moment I got back into the masjid, bro, my life got better, like, mentally, like, I'm saying, like, there was nothing wrong with my life, but Mm. mentally, I got better. Like, just being away from the house of Allah, like, honestly, because of my ego, was bad, like, it didn't do me any good. Think about it. we can't be any of us, none of us can be in ISOC if we have ego and pride. There's times where so many times you say something, you want something to go ahead, but it doesn't. And if you have pride or ego, you generally you ain't getting nowhere. Yeah, like you can't. You can't be a man of pride and ego in this day and age if you want an ounce of the akhirah. You know? Um, anything else to add to uh, uh, modesty, humility and shyness? Into our daily lives. Just be honest and truthful. Yeah. Like, don't lie. That's that's a big struggle these days as well. Mm. Honesty is a big struggle these days. There's this this saying that I heard recently that we're not, we're shy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we're doing something good. We're scared. We, We feel like He's watching us. While we're in prayer, we're close to him. Mm. We feel like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. He's here right now. When I'm praying my salah, salah for example, reading the Quran, Allah's close to me. He's seeing me. He knows my attention. I'm trying to do good. But then when you're going to do bad and you're doing, you're doing wrong things, don't you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can see that? Why do you feel like he's far from you then? Why is that shyness? Why is that humility from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Go mm. when you're doing something bad. Do you think he can't see you? Do you think he's not aware? <coughs> the same way you, you would want him to be there and hear what you're doing, when you're doing good things, understand that when you're alone, now there's there's a there's been an increase in things that people wa- watch yeah, or have yeah. access to in the last twenty years that they didn't have access to hundred years ago. Oh, so there's a rise in people being alone and thinking that Allah cannot see them. So yeah, the it destroys same way, the heart as well. It destroys the heart as well. So the same way when you're alone, be shy. Understand that he's watching you, understand that he's close. Even though he's in the heaven, think on, about on his he, throne. That's what I'm trying to say. He was in his privacy of his home, in the privacy of his shower. Like you know, that's no, nobody goes. That's it. It's me by myself. Mm. Even then, 
he had the humility to not even stand up. He didn't want to stand up. He couldn't stand up. He had to have, he'd be fully clothed. I'm not saying going to the shower fully clothed, but let's take an ounce of that humility yeah. and implement it. Simple as. I mean, modesty these days, well, I, there's so many things about how to be modest. Oh, be minimal. Live this minimal lifestyle. Bro, I'm seeing minimal pictures. Well, I, these, the table, to look minimal, is like 3K from Ikea. The cupboard, to be minimal, 4K or 5K. There, that's probably a lot more than, you know, like, yeah. oh, live a minimal lifestyle because it's got grayscale colors. Actually, minimal doesn't, is not your color scheme. Minimal is your lifestyle. So the Sahabas implemented minimal, and minimal was their house. Minimal was their lifestyle. Their house used to be what? Just still mud and hut. They were khalifs. They were kings of countries. But their house was like a mud hut. Their room was probably, what, up to where you are. Fit just enough a bed. That's Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi house. That's what he, his house was like. It was just about that big. Oh, what's phone, phone. phone? Your phone. My phone's on charge. Oh, uh, no, it's fine, it's fine. Like, um, it was just enough that he could pray without him bumping into Aisha. There was incidents where he did bump in. One second, no, one second. We're, we're going to cut this out in it, but one second. I wanna yeah, no, no, it's cool. There's a point I want to make here. Yeah. Who is the Sahaba, yeah, that, um, that, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that he died on the, that he died in the battle of, I don't know what battle was, was, was the one where he told the archers to stay where they are. Okay, yeah. And then they didn't stay where Probably they are, the they came down. Uh, I forgot the name. Uh-huh. And, I think it was the battle of uh, And then there was one man that he held onto the thing, flag, and they cut his arm. Muzab ibn Umayr. Pardon? Muzab ibn Umayr. Muzab ibn Umayr. Muzab ibn Umayr. Ibn Umayr. Bro, I think you're going to write that down. How do you say it? Muzab. Muzab. So M-U-S-A-B. Muzab. What do you want to search up? No, I know, I know. I just want to search up his yeah. name. Ibn. Oh. Yeah. Muzab. Muzab ibn, so son of Umayr. U-M-A-I-R. Are you sure it's him? Basically, at the time where all of the people were either running towards the Prophet Sallallahu or running away, he ran towards the enemies. He held the flag and he started shouting. Yeah, let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see. So, I believe it was him, yeah. Musab ibn Umair. I believe it was Musab. Well, you're going to want to hear this one still. But let me start now. So, there was a Sahaba, his name is Musab ibn Umair, I believe. So, his, his story, a lot of people cannot relate to, and they can relate to in some aspects. And the reason behind that is because, like you said earlier, there were some people, they were the elite of the Quraysh, oh, yeah. uh, of the Muslims, no, yeah. uh, of the, the tribe. Oh, yeah. They're the richest people. Richest as in, the clothes that they wore every single day were different and was tailored to fit them perfectly. If you know what I'm trying to say to yeah, you. Yeah. Every clothes they bought... We nowadays go to the shop, yeah, for example, and we buy something. But we buy it and it's always made. There's no exclusive for us. Okay. What he wore in the Quraysh time, Musa ibn Umar, was tailored for him. That's how rich they were. That's how rich his family was. It was getting put from Syria. Yeah, it was getting put from other places. That's how rich his family was. But him, him, his family did not turn Muslim. Him, he was, he was young, 19, 20 years old, when he turned to Islam. He heard of the, the message. I'm going to get to the point where I'm trying to get to you now. <clears throat> When he, when he heard of the, the new message, the new religion, one day he left his family, went by himself, and just went by himself knocked on the door of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi one of the Sahaba's houses, and he came in, and he said that, I want to hear this message. What's the message? The message was Islam. When he, when he, um, when, yeah. when, he, when, when, they, when, when he walked into the room, everyone was thinking, everyone was thinking, how? This person, when he used to walk on the street, people used to come outside just to smell him. That's how much his perfume, yeah. that's, how, that's how nice, that's like how rich he was. Smell him before they see him. Before they see him. People used to stand outside the doors so just so he can walk past so they can smell the scent that he has on him. That's how much rich he was, that's how much wealth his family occupied in the Quraysh yeah. at that time. They were the rich, they were the wealthiest. But he himself left everything. He let that oh, all go. He let that all go for the sake of Allah for the sake of Allah and religion. He let it all go and he became one of the <laughs> most beloved, one of the most beloved companions to the Prophet Muhammad Because he gave all his fortune away. He gave everything, he let everything down. And he went, and he, what did he do? He, he, he came to, he came to Allah SWT. What was the point uh, that we we'll, we'll, we'll were talking about before this? Uh, we were talking about, I believe it was modesty. Uh, yeah, your modesty. Because he was one of the richest 
teenagers. Yeah. He, was, yeah, he was on the religious teenagers and he accepted Islam. And at one point, at the Battle of uh, Uhud, Battle of Uhud, what happened was this is just like a rough sketch of what happened. Yeah. So in the end of battle, Prophet Muhammad said to the to, to the archers, the young no archers, um, no matter what happens, even if we're winning, do not come down from the mountain because they can outflank us or whatever, and we'll lose the battle. Mm. So as the battle is going, the brothers are um, no um, as as the battle is going, they. It looks like they are winning against the Quraysh. Mm. So from the, the archers on the top of the mountain, they're looking at them and they're thinking, okay, they are a thing. We've already won, so let's go downstairs. Let's let's take all the riches to ourselves. For example, the the blades they had, what the armors, the armors, all that kind of stuff. The so they got tempted and they came down. And when they came down, there was another attack and that by, was the by Quraysh, Khalid ibn Walid. By Khalid ibn Walid. And he uh, before he turned Muslim, before he turned Muslim after yeah, that, he, was one of the greatest he came around. He came around. He outflanked the Prophet Muhammad and they circled the Muslims. And when the archers come down, that means no one protecting the Prophet Muhammad. Mm-hmm. So they got attacked. They got outnumbered, and they, they were. It was, it, was, it came to a point where they the Sahabas Muhammad was dead. Yeah, they came to a point where the Sahabas were jumping in front of arrows, and in front of people and swords, so they could protect the Prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. from attacking. Mm-hmm. So, so he, um, so it came to a point in the battle that because the archers left the position that promotes us, no matter what happens, they came, they came from, they got outflanked, etc. And then, um, so what happened was this guy, um, Musa ibn Omer, what he'd done was his story is long and it's very, very unique. There's a lot of lessons we can take from it, but I'm just gonna get straight to the point. What he'd done was he, he took the, Islam, the Muslim flag. He made a lot of noise and he started shouting uh, uh, like Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, all mm. these Islamic chants. And he ran away from the from the direction of the Prophet Muhammad so away from the Prophet. So he drew the attention of the, the flag, yeah. of the of the of the of the of the non-Muslims yep. to attack him instead. And he knew that. So in that split decision time, he had the he gave his life up so the Prophet Muhammad could survive. What happened was he was there. He was fighting against them. Of course, he killed a few non-Muslims. But what happened was he held the battle of Islam, and all the were attacking him, trying to kill him only. So what he done was, he the, the non-Muslims knew that the flag being up is showing his that power, that, they still, that, that he's still alive. So what they done was they chopped his arm off. Literally, straight off. Mm. As they chopped it off, he grabs onto the flag with, the, with his left arm. They chopped it off as well. And eventually, he gets killed by probably 100 arrows plus because of what he sacrificed, because of what he'd done just to play the Prophet Muhammad he let everything go in his lifetime just for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what, he went from having everything to nothing. In Medina, he was spotted barely wearing anything because his mother said, I will no longer support you. Because he wasn't rich himself. His mother goes, uh, it was his parents' richness. He goes, his mother said, I will no longer support you. So when they migrated to Medina, the Prophet sallam, he was he had nothing. But he was one of the smartest sahabas. Like, and for diplomacy, he used Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to pick him, for him to go and bring Islam to different people because he was so smart. He was one of the most uh, smartest teenagers, uh, Sahabas, let alone teenagers. So yeah, his they story were, is amazing. They were so wealthy, they were so wealthy, but he renounced that title of his family because they were known mm. a Muslim. When he died, they they couldn't find, because he donated everything he had, to the army and to the mm. to people that needed it. That he had no clothes to cover himself when he died. They went to his house to take what he had, not his family. They, they would try to cover his head and his feet would not be thing, would not be covered. Okay. So he gave everything he had for the, for the, for the path. Yeah. For, the, for, the, for the sacrifice, everything for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet so, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We definitely have to do a, one on him as well because his story is actually like... It's too, yeah, that's how I was He's thinking, one of my favourite Sahabas, Wallah. For the um, guy, yeah, you have to cut this part out, but I promise you, like, if you, li- if you hear about this guy, yeah, different, bro. What I've just told you, just a little snippet, if you understand everything that he's done, yeah, the way he done that, his whole story, bro, it was like, literally the... Deeper, it's like Literally, being, it's like a rich white boy, rich, rich billionaire coming and saying, I don't care about, my, I don't care about the, the billions, billions my family owns. It's like being I renounce all of it. I renounce mm. all of it. He, where he... When he was born, he had the best clothes, and he had everything, every yeah, single yeah, thing yeah. he wanted, he that he had. Yeah, it's for family. Because of his family, because of the wealth, and not like a general, he was rich, rich. Yeah. But he left all of that at the age of probably twenty, twenty-one. 
yeah, just because he found the truth. He sacrificed everything. His family told him. His family told him. And his mum told him this. His mum told him this. He goes, if you walk out that door, you we will no longer we'll take everything back that you own from us. Walk out this house, and we will never ever support you again. After so many months of battling, he said, Mom, he said, if you don't accept me as how I am, or if you don't want to take the message of Islam, I'm happy. He walked out the door without clothes. His mum took his clothes off him, said, if you're going to walk out my house, if you're not going to renounce Islam, then take over, give us our belongings back. This doesn't belong to you. The guy walked out naked, bro, out of his own house. He told Mom, I don't want it. I don't want anything. Take everything. I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll starve to death. Before, before, before I renounce my religion just for you. He walked out of his house. He walked on the streets of, 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 of Quraysh naked. SubhanAllah, see how this story ties in now. Because the next point of you know, Uthman al-Anha's life is generosity. The generosity of Uthman al-Anha was different. To the point where in the Battle of Tabuk, he funds one-third of the army himself. It's Uthman al-Anha's wealth that funds one-third of the army, giving camels. It was narrated that when Muhammad was asking for... Um, time, time, time. Yeah, yeah, inshallah, because that's what we're going to do. We're going to go tr- uh, generosity, because the good thing is we're not doing, like, uh, these characteristics, then how do you apply it? We're doing them together, so it's going, like... How many will go to Generosity, and then we talk about his death. And that's it. No, generosity... Yeah, intelligence, because there's a Qur'an incident, and there's the water well incident. So this all ties in with generosity. So, uh, in the Battle of Tabuk, he f- funds one-third of the army. It was narrated that when Prophet ﷺ was asking for donations, because they needed money, he got up around seven to ten times. By the way, each time that he's donating, he's been guaranteed Jannah. So it was said that uh, Uthman al bought himself Jannah seven to ten times over. Bearing in mind, this is the time that Muhammad ﷺ is alive. Now you know that when he was a Khalif, he was up until Fajr, till Dhuhr, just praying. The guy is safe, he's clear, he's bought Jannah. But he's still worried about it. It's not even worried, it's the taste of it. He goes, if the heart is pure, it will never get bored of the Qur'an. He loves it, he generally loves it. Like he's got a love for it, he's got a love for Allah. That's why Allah has given him this title, this, this honor. Right? So he comes up. Stands up like seven to ten times, buying himself Jannah seven to ten times. He gives over one thousand dinars and places it on the laps of the Prophet ﷺ. He was very trustworthy, as, uh, trustworthy in his speech as well. We saw it with the incident where he goes um, as to why he was um, sad after the death of Ruqayya. And he was so truthful in his speech that it was the kinship that he was really sad about as well. That Muhammad ﷺ married off um, his, daughter. his second daughter. <clears throat> And if he could, he'd give even more and any daughters they'd had. And there was another incident, the well of Roma, which was a well when they migrated to Medina. Now, the man that used to, that owned this well, he used to charge the Muslims. And the Muslims that were poor, he had no problem. He himself, he could afford it to be charged. It didn't matter. But the Muslims that couldn't afford it, what could they do? They were charged. So, Muhammad goes, who will buy this well for the Muslims? He goes and buys it for them. Actually, he doesn't buy it for it. He goes, let's do something I'll buy half the well. How do you buy half a well? Well, I'll have it on one day, you have it on the other day. I was like, okay. Turns out, Uthman al doesn't ask for a penny. He goes, on the days that it's mine, you have it for free. Take as much water as you want. So then what people do, do every single thing that they need with the water on the days that Uthman al needs. So then the guy, and he gets no visitors, he gets no money. So he ends up selling it because it's worthless to him. He doesn't actually need to buy it now. Can, the guy can still keep it. I mean, what's going to happen? Mm. But he then ends up buying the whole thing. Because of that well, you know, Medina and that area has flourished. You know, I think I read about it later on. I'll try to find the link and send it to the Brothers Group chat. But the way that that area flourished because of that well was different. Like the funding that it produced, because it produces business when you have access to well and water, yeah, you can grow crops and sell things. And like, it's different. Water, yeah, does The water is the most important thing. Exactly. The second thing that he does, bearing in mind, remember these things that he does, because later on in his death, it's very important. He then, Masjid al-Nabawi, the Masjid of the Prophet. Muslims are accepting Islam at a very large rate, and obviously the Masjid is now not big enough. So they need to buy a piece of land, not just expand the mosque, they need to buy a whole piece of land for the expansion. What does he do? He buys the piece of land as well. So when asked, can you buy the piece of land? He does, he buys that as well. So he pays for the expansion of Masjid al-Nabawi. Then it's said that 
the Muhammad says that buying slaves should become a sunnah. You should buy slaves. You should free slaves because for every limb of the slave that you free, you will be free, uh, will be protected from the hellfire. Every limb of that slave that you free, you that limb will be saved in the hellfire. So he made a practice every Jum'ah, he will go and buy slaves and free them. Historians lost count at how many times he did this and how many slaves he freed because he did this every Jum'ah. Every Jum'ah, he goes and frees slaves. Bearing in mind, he's bought Jannah seven to ten times at this rate. He doesn't need to continue to do this, yet he still continues to do so because he knows that on the Day of Judgment, we are judged for every penny that we use. How we used it, how did we earn it? How did we get rid of it? Everything is judged. There's an incident in, uh, in Hudaybiyah, I believe. He's sent to negotiate with the Quraysh. I believe it was during the Hijrah. They wanted to go to do, hijrah, uh, do Hajj, I think. But um, anyway, the rumor is spread that Uthman has passed away. He's been killed. Muhammad Wasallam, with this 20 group of unarmed men, takes bay'ah to fight on behalf of Uthman Unarmed to fight on behalf of Uthman And then it was later released that Allah is happy with every single one of them that accepted, the, that gave bay'ah to Muhammad on that day. Some people say, where was Uthman on that day that bay'ah was given? The bay'ah was given to fight on behalf of Uthman You know? So sometimes it's very illogical what some people say about him. But he was so beloved to the Prophet that uh, Muhammad takes bay'ah from the 20 unarmed men with him uh, to fight on his behalf, unarmed. And it turns out the rumor was false. Now we come to... Oh, there's one last incident. Uh, the Qur'an incident. I'm sure you've heard that. Ah, what happened? Why are there different versions? Because there used to be different versions of the Qur'an. Um, you guys say the Qur'an hasn't changed. Now, here's the thing. If you haven't heard it. Uthman anha was the man that was known for uh, putting the Qur'an as a single one. Because the Qur'an before, you now have regions like Azerbaijan, Russia, all of these different regions, different dialects accepting Islam. Now, the Qur'an, as we know before, didn't have these apostrophes in these little letters mm. and how you to pronounce it. That different dialects can, you know, because Arabic back then it was so strong that you could pronounce it. You knew what the words were. Mm. But then more Muslims started accepting Islam from different regions, Asham, and uh, then you had uh, Azerbaijan and Russia and Iran, Bukhara, Khusaran, uh, and all these different regions. Pronunciations were different. So a Sahaba notices, gets really scared, and like, oh, Uthman, look what's happening. The people, somebody might recite something different, Maliki uh, or Maliki you know, different in pronunciations. So he, get, he says, gather all of them for me. Uh, he said uh, he gets a little council uh, of the greatest scholars of the Quran and gets a copy of the Quran that was preserved from Abu Bakr anha's time and is with Umar anha's daughter. Gets that copy and says this will be the basis for all Quran. And all Quran is then copied off this dialect, uh, copied off this, but it can encompass all dialects. So the Quran that we see now with the, uh, all these uh, little different uh, inter. Um, mm added you know i don't know what the words are for them but that you can now no, pronounce no, yeah those different little things they now encompass all dialects anybody can read it now from china to russia to uk to france they'll all read the same thing now and they say why did he burn the quran because the most respectful way to get rid of the quran is to burn it yeah. So when people say that they've got this problem against him, in fact, the Qur'an was so strong at that time, there was no dialectal issues until different regions started to accept. So when they noticed things, they're like, okay, let's go back to the very original Qur'an, which was uh, the Qur'an that was at the time of Abu Bakr, and copy of that, but we need it to encompass all dialects. So not a, ha not a letter was changed. Not a letter was changed, but now it could encompass all dialects. So that's why now we hear the Qur'an recited anywhere from China to... Uh, here, it's the exact same. SubhanAllah. Yeah, so that was uh, the last of his contributions. And then, well, that, uh, that I have mentioned. Yeah, that we've mentioned. Because his contributions to Islam is incredible. Now, his death, SubhanAllah, was, uh, you know, 
incredible. But I want to play to you this speech because there was a fitna that went around. And the fitna out of Maradona's time got worse and worse because he was such a soft man. He was soft in his manner. He didn't want any bloodshed in his name. He didn't want any Muslims to die in his name. So he was very careful. What the people asked for, he gave. He said, uh, Umar al has time, he elected governors. Now, by the time that uh, Umar al comes, he doesn't touch any governor. He doesn't change anything, demote anyone, because they're all doing their job. They're perfectly fine. And the people, they start with fitna, irrelevant stuff. Uh, Uthman is only putting people that are of his relatives, because turns out these people are actually related to Uthman, that Umar al put into um, as governors. Mm. And they're like, oh, they only put, he only puts his uh, family as... Um, Governors, so to get rid of the fitna, gets rid of the governors, gets other governors, governors, you know, and from that, the people now know they can increase their fitna because he's such a soft man, he's such a soft leader, you know, he he wasn't as harsh harsh mm-hmm. as uh, Umar al Umar al was a no nonsense kind of khalif, whereas he, on the other hand, he was a more soft of a leader. Mm-hmm. He was for the people, as well, because uh, Umar al was also for the people. May Allah bless him. Um, so that that's kind of what started things, and then let me play you his what his speech was at his last khutbah because it was a very small one. Um, if you come off it, you have to think. Would it go? Um, I think shouldn't. It's yeah, it shouldn't go. Is it paused? Check. No, it shouldn't be. Go back on it. No, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, we're about to wrap up. It's gonna take longer than eight six minutes. Okay. Indeed, Allah. Them in a short this is his last khutbah to the in Masjid al Nabawi. Indeed, Allah has given you this dunya so that you can seek with it the hereafter, the next life. And He did not give it to you so you can be attached to it. Indeed, the dunya fades away and the akhirah remains. So do not be fooled by that which fades away and don't let it divert you from that which remains. For the dunya ends and the journey is to Allah. Fear Allah, for taqwa of Him is a protection from His punishment. And beware of Allah's ghira, yani don't approach Allah's sanctified place. Stay with the jama'ah and don't become groups and mention the blessings of Allah upon you as you were enemies. So, uh, so He united your hearts and you became through His blessings brothers. And then He told to go out and to not offer any protection. And then He says, O people of Medina, I bid you farewell. Now, the part is very important about him not wanting any protection or any bloodshed because then his house is laid to siege. He's laid siege in his house. He cannot leave his house. And Ali anha and all the other great Sahaba's companions, they want, to, they want to do something about it. They can get rid of this. But he says, I want no bloodshed in my name and I want no Muslim's name. Uh, you know, I don't want any Muslim killed in my, in my name. So, despite all this, Ali uh, sends uh, Al-Hasan al-Hussein sends his two sons to outside his house to protect him. So there was no beef between Ali and the Khalifs. No. There's no. These men fought beside each other. They grew up with each other in Islam from the very <coughs> early ages to the very last. There was no, as you call it, a squattle or beef between them. No. Then Zubair, another great Sahaba, Zubair ibn Abdullah. Uh, Zubayr sends Abdullah, sorry, his, his uh, son. So the children of the greatest Sahabas are all sent outside his house to protect him. But he wants no protection. But they're still there. So he's 82 years old at his time of death. And the night before he's told, he sees Muhammad sallallahu Umar and Abu Bakr as well in his dream. And Muhammad sallallahu says, Oh Uthman, did they forbid you from water? He goes, yes, uh, Muhammad He goes, yeah, oh yes. Uh, he goes, did they forbid you from food? He goes, yes. He goes, did they forbid you from the salah, from my salah? Uh, sorry, did they forbid you from praying salah in my masjid? He goes, yes, they forbade me from praying in your masjid. Which he helped the people, the the one, the group of fitna, the okay, one that yeah. made this fitna. Yeah. Um, so the mosque that he helped expand. They forbid him from it. The well and the water that he established for the Muslims, the, they now forbid him from it. You know, at his time, the man that gave everything for, for the deen is now forbidden. At 82 years, old, uh, years of age, he's forbidden from it. And he goes, I have great news for you. 
fast uh, tomorrow fast because you will break your fast with us tonight so he's told to fast so then when he um, that day it's around Asr time and the sunnah was that you usually go to sleep and that's when he had that dream Uh, and he then the next day he's reading the Quran Oh, either it was the dream, one of those two, where he's told, oh, you're breaking fast with us tonight. I think, yeah, he wakes up from that, and he tells his uh, wife, uh, Naila, about this beautiful thing, and then they storm in the house. They st- uh, the rebels storm in the house. One of them grabs his beard. He was a man named Muhammad ibn, um, let me find the name. Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Abi Bakr was, caught, was one of the men caught up in the fitna. He grabs him by his beard. And he goes, let go, because your father honored my beard. And I don't want to see him in Jannah and say that your son was the one responsible for my death. SubhanAllah, there was so many incidents where somebody came to kill him and he goes, who was your name? What tribe did you belong to? He goes, you're not the one. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, Alhamdulillah, I'm afraid for you. He prayed for your, uh, your people. Your family. It's not you. He goes, it's not you. Was he, was he the uh, He was khal- the Khalifa at that time, yeah. So, and he had no protection? He, he said, I don't want any protection. I don't want anybody to protect me. I want no bloodshed. And he made this very clear. And then, after all these people that he sent away, when they finally storm, somebody grabs him and goes, don't. Because I don't want to tell your father that you were the one. Because your father used to honor my beard. I don't want to tell him that you were the one that did it. And I believe he runs away, I think. But when they walk on him, he's there reading the Quran. 82-year-old man, doesn't pay a single attention to them. He's reading his Qur'an. And one of them strikes him on the head. Blood starts pouring down. Where does the blood fall onto? Surah Baqarah, I believe it was. And it was, Allah will suffice for you against them. SubhanAllah. Where the blood fell was that exact ayah. And then when he goes to protect himself again, they cut his hand. And he goes, By Allah, this was the very hand that wrote the Quran. And then they stick the sword to his ch- uh, to his stomach. And his wife, Naila, sees this and runs. And they cut off her finger in, whilst doing it because she tries to get in the way. They cut off her finger. So, like, 82-year-old man, and this is how he's going. The man that expanded the masjid expanded, gave them water when they were being charged, funded their army, funded the expansion of anything to do with Islam, he was at the heart of it. When it comes to quantity, nobody, even Abu Bakr, nobody, no one matched him in quantity. And I'm sure in quality, you can never match him. The only person that done better than him was Abu Bakr for quality, because Abu Bakr always gave 100%. Mm. Uh, uh, Uthman always gave more than anybody could ever give. Nobody gave more than uh, Uthman al-Anha. And then they jump on his chest and they stabbed him six, six times. The guy goes afterwards, I done, six, I done three for Allah and three was for me. Prior to this incident, by the way, they, somebody throws a, a stone at his house and it misses. And he goes, do you not know that there's women in this house? He goes, that wasn't me. He goes, who was it? He goes, it was Allah. He goes, Wallah, you're a liar, because if it was Allah, he wouldn't miss me. Right? <laughs> Look at his level of man, like, even in this incident, he goes, do you think I'm stupid? You, f- you claim to be upon the right deen. You claim to be right, but your actions suggest far, far otherwise. So, he came afterwards when he's basically, he's killed now, he's been stabbed six times. I believe um, when his wife just looks for something to cover his face with, because it was battered, absolutely battered. He looks for something, she looks for something to cover his face, finds a, takes off her scarf, I believe, and puts it on, her, uh, on his face. And then another man comes running in, storms in. She thinks he's coming for help. Takes off the scarf and runs. Takes off the scarf of his face and runs away. And then the wife of the Prophet, anha, Umm Habiba, uh, the wife of the Prophet, وسلم, Umm Habiba, anha. <coughs> She's absolutely like disgusted by all this. Because these guys, the rebels, 
They don't even want to let him get buried. They, they don't want him to get buried. So Um Habib anha, what she does, she climbs the member in Masjid al-Nabawi. She goes, by Allah, if you do not let us get him buried. I, the wife of the Prophet, I, the mother of the believers, I will rip off my scarf. I will walk the streets of uh, Mecca uh, with my scarf off. Who's going to start, who's going to say no? Who who can possibly sit there and say, yeah, even the rebels, they, they couldn't. So when they go in to um, bury him, finally, they uh, I believe they were still throwing rocks and stones at him as he was. At the, what as was the fitna made against him? The fitna was that he was corrupt. Um, that uh, he was putting his family as um, governors. Uh, Basically, that he was a corrupt man. That that was the fitna was that this man is corrupt. He's not. He shouldn't be a khalif. He shouldn't be a khalif. But he was too soft to deal with it because Umar anha had these fitness as well. But he dealt with it. He was very harsh. He, like he was. He was a no nonsense. Like I said, he was no nonsense. He dealt with it. But Umar anha was too soft. Was who was alive when he passed away? Ali anha, all the great Sahabas, you know, Bilal anha was alive. Ali Did anha. protect him? But he said, I don't want any protection. He told them, don't give me protection. He said, Muslim fights against Muslims. He said, what it will go down as is uh, a divide between the Muslims. He, 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 you heard his last thing. His khutbah was, don't let a single bloodshed. Don't protect me. I don't want any blood, bloodshed. Because Muhammad's deathbed, Uthman anha was whispered something three times in his ear. I can't remember exactly what was said, but he was, it was said to him, don't remove the cloth that Allah clothed you with. Mm. And I believe that was interpreted as the Khalif, the Khalifa. Don't, don't, do not step down until you're killed. Don't let, don't let anybody take that cloth off you. Don't step down because they ask you to. Don't do what they ask you. You keep that Khalifa. You become the Khalifa. You remain the Khalifa, no matter what happens. Um, they didn't want him to get uh, buried in uh, in the... Um, in uh, Al-Baqi, which, um, which is where all the great Sahabas were buried. Um, so I believe he was first buried outside of it, and then later on he was buried inside Al-Baqi. But yeah, that is the story of Uthman. Aman, I guess one way I could put it right at the very end is, imagine like this. For your birthday, I'll buy you um, AirPods, mm. for example. Now, I expect it when a time comes, I expect the same present, if not more expensive. Yeah. Not even that, actually, not even that. Let's just say I, I give you something, a book, I give you something expensive for the sake that you'll give me something even more expensive afterwards. If I did it for you, my intention, like, I will be very, very angry, very hurt if I don't get the same thing back from you later on at some point. If I give you ten pounds and you gave me nothing back, when you were in need, you asked for ten pounds. I gave you ten pounds. Then I say, uh, "Wasim, can you give me ten pounds, please? I really need it right now." Go, sorry, what have you done for me? If I done that for you, I'll be very hurt. If I done that for Allah, I don't care. I didn't do it for you. You were a man in need. You were another person that needed my help. And when I know, I'll be asked financially how I spent my money. I don't care. I'll give it to you. Love you were in need. Exactly. So. If I do it for the sake of Allah, I don't care how you treat me. So the best way I can put it is that Uthman, after everything that he done, he could have easily said, look what I've done for you. Look at the very masjid that you're standing in. That was me that funded it. Muslims, we won the battle of Tabuk because of me, because I funded that army. Your water, Medina, you wouldn't be alive if it wasn't because of me, because you wouldn't be able to flourish. You wouldn't be able to harvest. Exactly, you wouldn't be able to do anything. He could have easily turned around and said this, but... That's when his other characteristics come in. His modesty, his humility, his humbleness, his generosity. He didn't do things for the sake of people because he was already given Jannah. He didn't need to do any of these. He bought himself Jannah. He didn't need to do it. But he continued to do it. Why? Because it was for Allah. The one way I can put it is anything, yeah. Do everything for the sake of Allah because the day that somebody turns, um, you know, turns around and says, what did you do for me? You're not forced to name them, just let it slide. Mm. Let it go. I didn't do nothing for you. You're correct. What did I do for you? Nothing. I didn't do anything for you. I did it for Allah. If you expect something back, then 
it's not free sabil Allah. You want it, you want it, you done it for. If you're hurt, yeah. If you're hurt, you you done it to get something back in this world, not for the sake of Allah. Hundred percent. If you're hurt because somebody didn't give you what you, you didn't get back what you wanted, or they say turn around to you, you, gave, say, you yeah. didn't get back what you gave. Exactly. If you're hurt because of that, then you just know that the blessing there and is then, gone. bro, being hurt is normal. Because I'm sure Uthman al have felt betrayed. Being hurt is normal. That feeling of being hurt is normal. But control your reaction. Yeah, control how you react. Expressing that feeling. 100%. Do, don't, yeah. Like, with that being said, that's it for this halaqa. Um, Jazakallah khair for everybody listening and for you guys as well for coming down as well. Um, and yeah, inshallah, we'll see you all in the next halaqa. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.